Welcome to From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. On today's episode, I sit down with Kyle Edwards, defensive backs coach and track and field sprints coach at Mishawaka High School. Kyle has a coach tube offering with Coach Holler called Rocket Fuel for Sprinters, based around X-Factor workouts. So naturally, a lot of our discussion is based around X-Factor workouts and how he utilizes them within his cycle. We also discuss the warm-up and how he attempts to facilitate mechanics, mobility, and elasticity. Coach Edwards talks about his considerations for programming a week of sprint work. We also look at how he facilitates speed work for the football program. I was glad to get Coach Edwards on to present another view on Feed the Cats. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to episode 28. I'm your host, Jesse Curtis, and today my guest is the defensive backs coach and track and field sprints coach at Mishawaka High School, Kyle Edwards. How you doing, coach? Oh, I'm really good. How are you? Doing good, man. Excited to get you on. I've uh, listened to you talk about some different aspects of track and field and sprinting and X-Factor. So we're really going to dive into the X-Factor. Actually, my previous guest was Tyler Germain. So we talked about some uh, Feed the Cats approaches, and I've also had Tony Holler on. So I've had several different lenses on the Feed feed the Cats approach. And uh, I know that you have a coach tube out with Coach Holler. It's called Rocket Fuel for Sprinters. So I'm looking forward to kind of dive a little bit more into X-Factor workouts because I really haven't had that perspective yet with the Feed the Cat system. So I'm looking forward to that. So before we dive into the specifics of everything, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, Coach. Absolutely. Sounds good. So yeah, I'm Coach Kyle Edwards. And uh, like you said, I'm a defensive backs coach for Mishawaka High School. Also track and field, the sprints coach. A lot, I'll have a lot of different names here. Uh, sprints coach for the uh, or speed stuff for the football team as well. Um, I've now started a speed is key speed school that I do run. Um, we've been doing that for almost about a year now. Um, I'm also the co-director of, of operations for Legacy Indiana, which is a football development seven on seven type of program. So a lot of hats over here, um, but I'm excited to be here and talk with you. Absolutely. Going off of that, I think we'll kind of throw in some of that speed prep for football as well, because I actually do our strength and conditioning and I do our speed prep for my team as well. So I'd kind of like to get your perspective on that and see if you use a feed the cats lens there or how you approach building speed for football as well. I'm excited. You're a defensive backs coach. I spent most of my career in coaching as a defensive backs coach as well. I focused more on safeties. Now I'm in the box with the linebackers. Uh, It's kind of where I wanted to be, but uh, I play defensive back myself and, you know, I always like to talk to other people that are in the same area as me or have been. Uh, So let's start out by kind of defining what the X factor is within the Feed the Cat system and just kind of talking about why that's where it's placed within a week and, you know, what the logic is behind the placement of an X factor within a week. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So basically when it comes to X factor, um, again, everything that I'm saying, I mean, it's like anyone, it's all regurgitated, right? We all learn from other people. Um, What I consider X factor is anything that's within five or six seconds. That's going to build your athleticism. That's not sprinting. Okay. So, so that's what I consider X factor. I break my X factor days down into basically three different categories. Um, I like to focus on force absorption. I like to focus on force output and I like to focus on sprinting technique. Um, I think between those three things, you're basically covering all your all your bases when it comes to speed work to where and kind of where it would be placed. Um, Let's say like a normal a normal track season. Um, Let's say it's the middle of it. We had most of our meets were on Thursdays, um, Thursdays or Tuesdays. I typically like to do an X factor day the day before um, or the 
two days prior to a meet. Um, I believe it's a really good like wake up one. Typically uh, the day before a meet, we would have a pre-meet, which is, you know, just kind of fine tuning a little things, um, you know, handoffs, block work, stuff like that. I also like to throw in a little bit of like the technique portion of X factors in those to, again, just kind of help our body and help our mind remember what we're actually trying to do that previous day and to actually perform at that high level. Um, so basically, so yeah, so anything that, that is um, going to help your, your force output, force uh, absorption and sprinting technique, that's all included within that X factor work. So hearing a lot of good lines of logic there, and we can kind of follow a couple of those. I like the three different parameters you're throwing out there. Some of that kind of inserted itself into my conversation with Tyler Germain, because he was talking about, he didn't necessarily call it an X factor, but I said, following the feed the cats model, it's, it basically is. And uh, force absorption and then the output there and then technique work, like he was using it more as like one of his lower days coming off of a max V day. Uh, and I kind of talked about the fact that, you know, in Feed the Cats, one of the main principles is that you're not going to do any tempo work or anything that's below, you know, max output. And I've had Mike Whiteman on and I kind of told him that plyometrics are a great way to build tissue resilience and to build bounce and spring off the ground, which are some of the things that people would say are positives perhaps of tempo running over, you know, the long haul that it's going to build you up to a certain place. You're going to get tissue resilience, stay away from injury and things like that. But I really like the line of logic that X factors can teach you to absorb properly, can teach you to return force. Uh, so if we can talk a little bit about what some of those different force absorption mechanics are, what some of your different output mechanics are as far as X factors. And if you would perhaps would you do both or would you kind of go with blocks to where you're focusing more on force absorption, where you're focusing more on output? Yeah. Um, so I would say, so first off, I, I think I do need to begin with by saying um, I have no type of degree or knowledge of when it comes to like the science part of these things, you know, and I think that's one, a disadvantage and one, a big advantage to it, to saying that a disadvantage, you know, like you're saying, there's a lot of things that like, I'm still learning myself when it comes to exactly how the body's been working. Um, and I'm also only 23. So I've only been coaching for about four or five years now. Um, so I'm still, you know, young in the game. Now saying that I do believe it's an advantage too, because I don't really have the um, thought process of oh, this, 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 it's kind of just like a, like just how feed the cats is, you know, it's kind of just, um, well, this looks like it's going to make this part of it better. So let's do that, you know, so that's what I've kind of found to do that part. And that was kind of just the base. So going back to what you were saying, um, when it comes to the X factor stuff, I would say I typically always do a little bit of all three in every X factor. I do believe that you can focus on other things, but since that, like for my speed school, I'll break it down a little better because I have a lot more time. I'm training guys, you know, one-on-ones or small groups, things like that. We're tracking for track and field and the football team. Um, it's such a giant group. I mean, we have 120 kids on our football team. We typically have about 50, about 30, 40 sprinters on the track team. Um, so, you know, it's not a lot of time that we get to um, actually do stuff. So what I like to do, I like to, you know, take it in groups, have a force absorption um, station, you know, station. I feel like they're the best ways you can go about it. Force absorption station, which would look something like a death jump or how Tony Holly calls a cat jump. The other state, you know, another station could be something like a, um, a wicket jump. So that's the uh, force output to where, you know, they're jumping over wicket or a hurdle hops. I love, you know, I love hurdle hops, things like that. And then another station could be a technique one as in boom, booms and, you know, switches and things like that. So, so I would say I don't necessarily focus on one specific with my X factor days when it comes to big, to those big groups, because I like to do just a little bit of everything and it helps those kids just kind of think, feel like, yeah, you know, they, they feel like they are working because when it comes to like, it's such a good problem to have, I guess, because when you have such hardworking kids, 
a lot of the stuff in the feed the cats, you know, they're like, I need more, you know, and then it's, it's really hard to, or, um, it's a little difficult to explain to them, you know, like you don't need more. You might feel like you need more, but you truly don't, you know? So, um, so yeah, so I would say probably just, I hope I you know answered your question, but outside I, I go, I go stations and I do basically everything, everything that I focus on in X factor drills. I typically do them all in one, in one day. Like I myself, like we do kind of run and we're getting into this a little bit later, probably with you. I do run kind of like a more feed the cats approach for my field based sports. We sprint, you know, max V short distances. Typically we throw a couple of things in it that might not be completely uh, feed the cats, but like I don't have a per se X factor day, but I like to stack my plyometrics and my med balls and things in there. Like with what we're doing that day, if it's max V, I'm going like vertical forces, uh, quick ground contacts. If it's going to be acceleration based and I'm going to go a lot more horizontal things and, uh, stuff such as that. So like, I haven't like truly gone about it in this approach. And really my main reasoning behind that is I've only got three days of prep with my field sport athletes. So like in that, I don't really want to take just one day where we do X factor. And there are times where like the plyometric is the base. And I guess you could kind of say that that is an X factor thing, but a lot of the things you're alluding to are kind of like the rationales that I, I like to use as well. So some of the things that I heard there, again, you're going to have stations that are going, you're going to have absorption. You're going to have your return. You're going to have your technique. Now, how do you attempt to build variants and to perhaps scaffold technique uh, in different plyometric means throughout your training? Is it going to stay pretty like vanilla or, are you going to try and build up like if we're doing a single boom, are we going to a double later? Are we doing a triple? Is that all happening in one session? Is that happening over a couple of weeks time? Uh, you know, going from just a simple split jump to switches in the air. How do you progress things like that within your X factor throughout an extended period of time? Yeah. So basically, um, again, I think it'll all depend on the time that you do have and the athletes, because I learned very, very quickly that a lot of the things that I would try with some of my you know, high school guys, I couldn't try with my younger guys, you know, and vice versa. There's a lot of things my younger guys, I couldn't really do with my high school guys because they're just too advanced, you know? So, so I would say kind of how I like you do that is, well, one, it depends on the person Two, um, I always start with just as easy as possible. Right. So like we said, with the, with the wicked jumps, okay. That, that's just something that comes to my head. That's easy. Wicked jump. We'll start with, with five wickets. Okay. Where they basically just bunny hop right over hit the ground, short contact time, things like that. Um, the next week, okay, then we'll, we'll, we'll take it to seven wickets. Okay. And then we'll actually worry about getting our toes up, you know, kind of working that to get, um, get that form a little bit better. Now, when it comes to like specific, we don't do, it's tough though, too, to even build on that because we don't do a lot of the same drills, you know, like, like, because it is such a, I want to keep it fresh and I want to keep it active and I want kids to, to keep their engagement. Um, there's not a lot of drills that we do, you know, consistently every week. You know, it's probably, we'll do a drill one week and then we probably won't do something of that variant for another three, four weeks, you know? Um, and I think either way is fine. It's just for me personally, I have, I believe that kids actually react to the drills better when they feel like they're doing something new, like all the time. Now, again, uh, going back to it, it doesn't build that, that much variance to where they kind of get a lot better at them. But what I found is that when we do that, they're actually building their athleticism in their own body so that they can, can perform those other drills better. So I would say, I don't, I don't like progress my drills as a, like, we'll do this and it'll turn to this and it'll turn to this. We kind of just do something different, something different, something different. That's going to get our entire athleticism in our body better to perform all everything else better. Yeah. And there's a ton of different ways you can go about it. Like, 
you know, for a long time, I would have to say within myself that I always attempted to like very, very closely monitor and build a skill, you know, brick by brick, like a Lego tower or something. Like I was trying to just stack them. And then you find out that even in track and field, and especially in a field sport, this is an extremely chaotic event. And you need to make people that are resilient and you need to make people that can provide solutions to multiple things like uh, reading more things like from Franz Bosch and stuff. He always speaks for like variants and throwing different things and making self-organization. So like the power of that, like that's something I've latched onto, you know, in recent years in my training, not to sit there and to just continue to pound the same thing because you spoke to like boredom uh, perhaps happening and you have something like feed the cats, like where you're not like going, you're not running 10 sprints of something, you know what I'm saying? So you want to stimulate them and keep them engaged. And then also, you know, we haven't really mentioned the CNS, stimulate the CNS because jumping is like Mike Whiteman alluded to this. And I've seen other individuals allude to this. Jumping is like one of the best ways to stimulate the CNS. I always choose to, to throw that in my warmups because it gets you ready to interact with the ground, stimulates the CNS. So I really like that line of logic you're throwing out there. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And again, I'm actually just now with, I guess, the last probably year or so, uh, have been getting into like the CNS and like what this is actually doing to that, you know, to that part of our body. So, so yeah, so that's exactly like how my warm up stuff too. And I know we'll get that, you know, get that in a little bit, but I completely agree with you. One thing that was kind of sticking out of my mind, I don't know why I didn't put this on the list, but like with us talking about plyometrics, how about double to single leg like how what is your weight on that like how do you vary that because I find it's easier to start bilaterally but obviously we want kids to be able to interact with the ground appropriately on a single leg so like how do you build to that what is how what is your ratio perhaps of bilateral to unilateral movements and uh, how would you advance that absolutely yeah so yeah so I'm a big big believer in single leg okay um I think that well, one double leg, I mean, it's just, it's normal, right? So kids are used to that. So you've got to do some of that, but I would say, honestly, from the very jump, most of my plyometrics are single-legged. And the reason for that is a way that I have liked to explain it before is that when you are sprinting, you are continually doing a uh, single leg jumps over and over and over again, right? You're getting that airtime, you're getting that vertical force from the ground. So I always like to actually work on, you know, I always want to do single leg as much as possible because like you were just saying, they need to work on that contact time, not just the timing of it, but the the correct form of how to land, um, you know, on that single leg, how, like that's such a big skill that kids, like the kids don't even realize that they need, you know, like they think sprinting is just running, you know, and it's, or I think sprinting is way closer to jumping than it is running. Like when it comes to how our CNS is working and things like that. So um, I would say most of my, most of my plyos, I always probably try to do, I don't want to say double, but probably close to double the amount of single legs that I do double leg. And as far as like one more thing before we kind of jump into warmups and then we'll jump into like how you would layer an entire sprint week and we'll come right back to that X factor within that week as well. So one more thing, do you include med balls or isometrics as a means on like an X factor day or is that something that's going to be more geared towards the weight room? Yeah, so that's more geared towards the weight room for me, um, only because personally, uh, we have an amazing strength and conditioning coach. Um, his name's Michael Surgeon. He was actually, before he came to Mishawaka, he was actually the head strength and conditioning coach at Tennessee. Okay, so um, I think like his wife was from Mishawaka and they ended up moving here. So that's kind of how we got him. So I, I'm very lucky that I don't have to worry about any med ball or things like that. Um, he basically controls all of that in the weight room. Now, 
if he didn't, if I, if we didn't have that, yes, I would include that stuff. Cause I think it is very, very important. Um, but he's made my life so much easier to where I can basically work on my X factor and my sprints for every, and he kind of just takes care of everything else. Yeah, that's awesome. It just depends yeah. all on your situation. Like I've had multiple coaches on speed to that. It just depends on your situation, how you need to go about things. Talked to Brad Dixon not too long ago, and we were talking about building your own house, learning how to cook. You got to figure out how, how a system works within two years. That's why I'm so interested to sit down with you after sitting down with Tyler and looking at some uh, Feed the Cats approaches here. So let's talk a little bit about the role of the warm up. how you would vary that. Do you use different neurological methods like RPR? Do, do you throw a lot of like running mechanics and techniques in there. So what is your opinion about the role of the warm-up and how do you build a effective warm-up? Yeah. So to start off for the research I've done and for what I've seen, I love RPR. Okay. Saying that I don't do it. Okay. And the reason for that is because actually last summer we did it the entire summer. Um, I did it with my football guys with, because of COVID and everything was kind of, you know, just happening and stuff. We had to separate it. So we had freshman offense, freshman defense, they like they were, you know, one was on the uh, track doing speed work with me. The other was in the weight room with coach surgeon. We would switch. Then the next hour, we'd have to bring in the offense, do the same thing. Next hour, we did a defense. So like it was a two hour practice turned into a six to seven hour practice. Okay. So saying that we were doing that, but even with, after showing them like how, how it can work and how it actually got my kids person just didn't buy in. Um, I, I, I put it on myself probably, you know, of, of being a little bit better at it. Um, but I just couldn't get the kids to really buy into it as much um, as I would have liked. So, um, so saying that I don't do RPR anymore. Um, I like to do, I don't even call my first thing I do a warm up. Um, Cause again, for, for the past, they, you know, kids hear warm up and they think it's, it's slow and even not whatever I call it a wake up, which I'm sure is, is not, not brand new. Okay. Um, I call it a wake up. I tell the kids, you know, we're, we're going to wake up our body, get ready to move like we're supposed to. So what I like to start, like my, like my wake up drills, I start with, with toes, heels, which is basically walking those toes, walking high on your heels, kind of get the ankle mobility moving a little bit. Then we like to do toe pops. Okay. So hands on hips, pop off the toe, worry about short contact time. I like to do retro runs, high knees, you know, things that are really high velocity. Actually, you know, thinking about it, I actually basically do my X factor, my X factor focuses in my, in my wake up. So force absorption, force output and technique, like a force absorption will do, um, I call it bound for length. So they can start on two feet, they jump to one foot and they stick that lamp. It's another single leg drill. Um, I tell them they want to become a statue before they move. So again, really work on that force absorption. We have speed bounds, which I'm, I'm sure everyone knows, you know, big bounds, um, prime times, which are really, really good, uh, high velocity type thing. Box jumps, we do box jump as well. But that's about it. You know, we basically do, uh, you know, little sprints too, but everything in my warm up or everything in my wake up is all high velocity or force absorption. Yeah. And do you do the warm ups as well for like footballs, like practice and games or someone else? Yeah. Yeah. Warm ups for the uh, practice and games too. And it's basically the same thing. It's, it's a little different stuff, you know, just because of playing a football practice, you have to prepare a little bit better than you do for a uh, track practice, you know? So there's a little different variance in in, in those warm ups, but, but ultimately probably about 90% of them are the exact same. 
Yeah, and I heard you talk about toe walks and heel walks. So can we talk about a little bit more, like I understand the rationale behind the toe and I've seen people use the heel before. So like what's the rationale behind getting both the, the uh, mechanism of the toe and then also getting the midfoot and heel involved within some of those warm-up methods? I like it is because just, just ankle mobility, okay, whether for, for injury and for, for just absorbing that force. Um, I think you need to have really good ankles. So I think that's one part of it. Another part is, is I really like the heels one because what I have found is that some kids do, they just don't know how to have a dorsiflex toe. Like, like they, they truly just don't know how to do that. And so what I found is like, you know, the toe one, I guess that's more for mobility. The heel one, I always tell them, this is how, like, this is how you, your foot should look like when you're running or when you're sprinting. Now it's over-exaggerated, obviously, like your toes not to be completely up when you're sprinting, but, um, but if we can get them to over-exaggerate that dorsiflex toe, that's the real meaning for those, for those heels so that they can uh, transition that into their sprints. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the different things that you're saying there, like, that's something that I've kind of shifted to, like, we'll typically have a couple things we do before our sprinting. Again, if it's a max V day, I'm going to try and like throw some bounds or something in there that are going to correlate well with that. But I try to strategically place those things throughout the summer so that whenever I get to the fall, I'm like, okay, this is our warm up, and we've done all, you know, 12 of these things. So now we all understand that we have some competency because I don't want to throw a lot of variance at that time. Right. We want to be effective. And uh, I try and build that understanding. I do the same thing in the weight room. I'm like, okay, we need to learn today so that this can be applied later. So I understand a lot of rationale there. And with that RPR, we utilize RPR. I feel like it's a lot more rushed whenever I'm in my off season because I'm the only guy that does RPR. So I'm in the weight room. I do RPR with that group, the group on the track. Like I have the same split as you. They're not doing RPR because nobody else does that. I get the most benefit for RPR pregame on Friday nights whenever I'm able to pull them, take my time. And I've got like 25 minutes. So like we really do truly go through RPR there, but I do feel like I'm a little bit rushed sometimes and kids are kind of like, half out of it. So I can understand some of those different things you're talking about before a workout, you know, early morning, afternoon, whatever it is. So I understand a lot of your lines of logic there. So let's kind of go through a full week's time. Let's focus track and field first, and then we'll jump to football prep and how that might vary slightly. Let's talk about how many days you're sprinting, where you're throwing the X factor in, what days max V, what days Excel. Let's talk about distances, volumes, just kind of the whole shebang here on how you would prep your sprinters effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So yeah, let's go with the week with no meat, right? Let's, let's go preseason. Um, we're, or we're in season, but we haven't, you know, we got a month. We obviously here in Indiana, uh, we start our track, I believe the first day, technically like the end of February. Um, but we don't have any indoor meets, you know, like a lot of other places. So, so we have, let's say it's like March. We're going to Monday. It's going to be a long, Monday is going to be a big high velocity day. Okay. So Monday, uh, that's going to be the day that we're probably running 40s um, with with flying 10s. Um, we're doing a big timing day, competitive day. Actually, that's that's a good way I would explain it. Uh, Monday will be the competitive day. We're competing. We're doing flying 10s, which with a with a 40 yard dash. Uh, we're doing uh, time by free lap as well. We're doing uh, broad jumps. So we give them five broad jumps. They you know see how far they can go. Um, just you know want to get them competing. Want them getting ready for the week. Tuesday, Tuesday would come along and that would probably be another X factor day. I don't ever really like to have high sprinting two days in a row. Cause I, again, I, I want that high velocity. I want a good amount of rest. So kind of how you were saying how uh, Tyler said that he likes it as like one of his low, low uh, dose days. I, I would kind of agree with that. Um, where Tuesday would be the X factor going with, with our technique, with our force absorption, things like that. Then Wednesday would come along Wednesday. We would probably do more of like a mobility day. 
Okay, so Wednesday after an X Factor and a sprinting day, that would be a mobility day where a lot of times we go in the, in the wrestling room and we do, uh, you can count that as an X Factor day, like Christian McCaffrey. I know he's a big Feed the Cats type of guy. And I saw a lot of stuff from him that I really liked with his mobility that he counts as X Factor, which is like um, crab walks, um, you know, kind of just different weird movements, almost like yoga, I would say. So kind of combinations of that, that would be a good Wednesday. Then Thursday, we're going to come out hard, probably do another com another um, competitive day. But this time, we'll probably do 60s with flying 20s. I like to do just have the extended a little bit farther than a 40 and a 10. Because um, again, it's track and field. Even, even though we can go the whole year without running past 200 yards or 200 meters, we still got we still can't just do it as like 40s, you know? So um, a little bit farther for that part. And then Fridays, which depending on how that Thursday went, Friday would be the big lactate day. So that would be the day where we're running, you know, three one fifties with eight minute rest in between. We had about probably about five to six lactate workouts from February to June. Okay. So, or from February to May. So not a whole lot at all, but I would say that would be a, probably a good week, like off season week or, or right in the beginning of the season. Now, Let's add a meet in there. Okay. So let's say we add a meet on Thursday. Monday's looking the same. Okay. Monday's still flying 10s with the 40. Tuesday's probably still an X factor day. But then that Wednesday, uh, instead of doing mobility, we'll do a pre meet day. So that's going to be block starts. That's going to be handoffs. That's going to be maybe a little bit mobility, but uh, really not much, not much work that day. Cause again, we want to be 100% fresh for that, for that meet. And that meet we count as a lactate day. So, um, so saying that if that Thursday was that lactate workout uh, or slash meet Friday, they have off. Um, we still have them come in, but we count it as off. We'll go to the resting room. We'll stretch a little bit, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, but then they're, they're going home. I've even experimented. Uh, I didn't this last year, but the year before we actually took a nap for one of the practices. Like we, I legit made them lay down, you know, take a 30 minute nap. And I found out that the week later, almost, I think we had 85% PRs, you know, just for taking a day and taking a nap instead. Now for what I think, you know, for, for what I saw. So, so yeah, so I would say that would be a typical, typical track and field, um, track and field schedule. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of, couple of things there. So like on your builds with doing flying tens on Monday and then perhaps something uh, as far as a flying 20 on a Thursday, do you give them discretion on their builds? And then I was also interested, like, do you ever extend beyond the flying twenties? Because like I've seen people run, you know, flying sixties, flying hundreds. Like, have you ever utilized that within one of your longer distance max V days? I've done it a few times. Um, the reason why I got out of it is just because kids were starting to, they were, they were starting to care about the number too much than how they're performing necessarily. And what I mean by that is like, they would run their, their a flying 60 uh, with like, let's say, I don't know, 30 meter run in. So that's like a 90 meter run. Um, and they would, they would see that number and think, okay, well, if I'm running that as a 60, I should be running this as a 40. And by that's true, but their logic behind it just didn't really make sense much, you know? And so they were starting to, even if they did really well and their averages were dropping, if they didn't, you know, they were really unhappy with a lot of the reps, you know, just because it didn't seem as fast as they thought. So when it comes to like, I really just like having the lactate days, the 150s by three or the 200s by three. Besides that, we're really sticking to just 60s, flying 20s, 40s, flying 10s. Okay. And one more thing before we kind of jump into some other things here. 
what what do you do during your rest time? Is that just completely off time or is there different like mobility things or other things that would be addressed during that rest time? Because some things can have like an extended rest time, obviously, like if you did go with an extended uh, fly like we were just talking about. So what's going on during the rest time? Is it just time to relax, catch your breath, or is it something where you're working on a skill or mobility? Yeah, rest, we're, we're just resting. I mean, it's nothing going on because you, you mean between reps, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're doing nothing, especially – I, to be honest, I don't know how well it would be if we try to do something at those times, <laughs> uh, but I, but I found out, yeah, they, they're dead. They just, they just want to rest. They don't want to do anything. Nothing. They're doing nothing. I got you. And before we kind of jump to how this shifts into football, what about the overall total volume? Is there a day that has a little bit higher volume? Is there a day that's like lower volume on those high days? And what would like typically be your volume on your forties, your tens, your sixties, your, your flying twenties? Yeah. So volume for the forties and sixties and stuff. Um, I just like to do three I've done four before, but I have yet to see a fourth rep that was faster than the first or second, you know? So, um, after three, I just kind of find that, you know, you're kind of just beating the the dead horse, you know, um, at that point, they're starting to kind of feel that lactic acid kind of build up a little bit after three, cause that's already what for That's already one twenty that they did. So it's about three, about three forties each, the Friday, the lactate day, that's the only time that they're doing more than that. And they were never having a practice after. So the high volume, if we're going to bring those out a lot more when it comes to track and field, if we do do more, then they better not do anything else that next day. That makes a lot of sense. Like I've had multiple people like verify that like the third, perhaps fourth rep, everybody's a little bit different. Like I even find that with like barbell tracking technology. I look at one kid and I'm like, this kid's already primed. He's ready. And then two sets later, the next kid's ready. So everybody's a little bit different, but I've had tons of coaches kind of verify that like they found with their measurements that the third rep is typically the best. And if you extend that thing out to five or six, then it's a significant substantial drop off. So uh, I've had that verified by multiple people. So something I'm really interested in because it's is kind of more in my wheelhouse. How do you use the system we just discussed and transfer that over to building speed within a field-based sport like football? And like, you can talk about like how many days a week y'all, y'all work out, uh, where you would stack these things. Are there practices? Like, let's, let's say we're in off season right now, like we are. And like, is there a practice during y'all's week, how that affects your programming and all that stuff? So when it comes to me, I think I'm a very special situation. We're a very high program in the state of Indiana, you know, just, just really well known again, having a hundred plus guys every single year, year in, year out. Um, so we can do a lot of things other people can't. One, one of them is having our zero hour. Okay. So we actually do not lift. Uh, we don't work out in the afternoons. We lift in the mornings from 6am to 715. During the entire off season, we were lifting from 630 to 730 before school. And we were having 70, 80 guys at those workouts. I know a lot of people can't do that, but that actually helped us a lot because then we got every, all those kids that were in other sports, track, wrestling, basketball, they could still come to the football workouts. Okay. And we also work those workouts out, you know, because they are in those sports first, you know, so that's, that's what takes priority. Okay. Now saying that uh, we would go basically about four days a week. Okay. Six, 6 a.m. to 7, 15. Uh, we only did, we only did speed once or twice a week kept pushing to do more, but again, I can't win all the battles, you know? So it was about twice a week. And this One is like day. January to like May ish you're talking about. Yeah, right yeah, We're talking, yeah, we're talking December to like, yeah, to like April ish. So that is, so yeah, it's so about twice a week. We would obviously bring up the free lap, do our forties and things like that, just like track would. And then I would say the X factor days were more geared towards, were more geared towards actually just um, being more explosive 
rather than being able to sprint better, you know? Um, so that's, I guess it was a more generalization when it comes to field sports, because you don't have to like one tiny little millisecond doesn't matter as much in football that it does in track, you know? So, so we were able to generalize it a lot more to actually get a lot more volume in too, without these kids feeling like they're, they're dying too. Now saying uh, what it is happening right now, same thing about twice a week, we're doing speed, kind of doing the same stuff, except now we're actually, our head coach is kind of bought into where we're going to be doing a lot of like um, speed before, before games, um, you know, like on Thursdays, that'll be like our speed day. Cause right now when we're doing a lot of running, we're going through every single scenario on a Thursday and it's just kind of too much. So, you know, I talked to our head coach for a while. We had like an hour discussion probably a few weeks ago, uh, just kind of talking about like what we can do, how we can be fresher, what, you know, how we can perform better. Um, and I'm very excited to hear that we're actually going to be doing legit like speed stuff on Thursday, r- walk through about t- 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then we're done for the day. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of different like takes on that. Like talking to Brad Dixon, like Monday is like sprint day for him whenever he comes out. And then like there's also people that say like Thursday is a great day to kind of ramp your CNS up, uh, you know, me- with measurement, not just go crazy, but like to kind of like facilitate that because like it's extreme downtime on a Thursday. Like it, if you don't really know if the body's really getting ready for Friday because you want the highest output on Friday, obviously. But if you kind of like microdose, which is one of those terms I. I think I talked about with Brad Dixon that a lot of people say, oh, I don't really like that term. But if yeah. you, you know, appropriately throw a little bit in there and then you've got to walk through, you know, you're not going to facilitate too much volume there. So it kind of ramps you up and just kind of gets you ready to roll on into Friday. So I do kind of like uh, some of the things that you're throwing out there. So let's talk about one more thing here. Let's talk about you've alluded to speed school. Uh, so like I've had several coaches on that have their track and field coaches like JT Ayers and, and Coach Jermaine's trying to do this and uh, John Garish. I've had several people on and a lot of people naturally gravitate towards a speed school. So like what led you to start a speed school? What are some of the positives you're seeing about that? How is it facilitating a culture of speed around the program that you're at? Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, I for sure didn't expect to do something like this. I'm really going to put it all in COVID, to be honest, because um, like I said, I wasn't trying to be like a speed guru. I didn't really know much about speed stuff. Now, personally, I know I was very fast in like high school and college and things like that. Um, you know, dual sport athlete in college, stuff like that. But when COVID hit, you know, it, it was kind of screwed. We couldn't talk to anyone. We couldn't really do much. So I wanted, I wanted to do something that my kids could still get their good speed work in you know, while we weren't together. So I kind of just started posting videos. That's kind of how I got traction with Tony Holler too. I basically started posting videos on Twitter. Well, first I posted on our sports U app, which is like almost like your, um, it's your team's almost personal Twitter. Uh, it's where you can post on there. You can do updates, things like that. And I was just posting them on there, you know, for kids say, Hey, do this, do this. I had about three to five drills, uh, some sprinting, things like that. And they were just really liking them. And so I was like, you know what, like, why am I, why am I doing all this work? Like, and no one can get this work in. Let me just share it with the world. You know, like I want to help as many kids as I can right now. So I kind of started posting them on Twitter. Tony Holler kind of got hold of them and they kind of started blowing up a little bit. And so I was realized like, okay, maybe this is something I could actually do. I started offering just free classes um, for anyone from college all the way down to, to first grade. You know, anyone who wants to come out, I'm going to be at um, this field, you know, at this time to this time come on out. It ended up getting, you know, a good amount of kids, college kids, all, you know, all, all ages around. I was like, and I just thought, wow, you know, I guess, guess this is how we're going to do this, you know? So I uh, kept doing it. I did it for free, you know, to build that brand up. I did it for free for probably that entire summer. 
all the way up like through the football season. And then it was up to, I actually just started like actually charging for it and things like that in February. Um, so it's still building right now, still trying to find my own spot and things like that. But I would say really being quarantined and posting social media videos is what got me into this, into this uh, part that I am right now. Yeah. And I've, I've kind of heard people, different people allude to that as well. Like coach Jermaine was talking about, like he, he had a unique situation. I don't know how it was in your district, but he was talking about, they never had in-person school, uh, not once last year. So like, he's trying to run a track and field program with, you know, virtual classes going on. And like, he was talking about how like now he's doing the summer speed school and like, he's going to attempt to facilitate that to where, even if you're not a track and field athlete, you know, basketball player can come out and they can train speed year round. Obviously whenever they're in season, they won't, but if they're off season like I see the strength in that because a lot of the times in the offseason some of these other sports football seems to be the sport that's always kind of rolling and always has something that they're working towards but other programs like volleyball basketball uh, and other sports such as that a lot of the times that kind of falls by the wayside within some programs I feel like so I like that rationale and how often are you doing those uh, speed sessions yeah so for a while there it was three days a week um, it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, with football season starting now. And like um, with my legacy thing, I just have so much going on. Uh, we now are only twice. We're now only Tuesdays, Thursdays. And then I also our local Pop Warner team. They're called the South Bend Bulldogs. They actually won the national championship Pop Warner division last year uh, up down in Florida. Um, and so I've made a partner with them. And so now I train their entire team as well. So there, so I have my speed school um, Tuesday, Thursdays from a certain time. Then the whole bulldog team comes in. We do, you know, we train them. It's about 30, 40, uh, eight to 10 year olds that are actually doing a feed the cats type of program, um, which I think is going to be hugely beneficial for not only, not only them as, as athletes, but this area in general. We're now starting to see that uh, I'm trying to build a, a feed the cats, a true speed following within those, you know, those little kids so that by the time they do get up to these middle school, high school classes, even if they're not going to my school, I want them to, to actually have this base of not only athleticism, but just uh, awareness of what's going on, you know, of how to actually build speed, of how to actually move your body, of how to actually just uh, perform a certain way. Now, again, saying that they're not, I'm not saying they do exactly what our high school guys do. You know, we play a lot of games. We do a lot of, you know, a lot of things that, that little kids shouldn't feel like they're doing just speed work, you know? So, yeah, so we do it twice a week for, for the, uh, everyone else who wants to join high school, college, middle school, our age, and then twice a week for the Bulldog team. Yeah, I like a lot of those lines of logic as well, like especially starting them young because like it's speed training is so simple. Like if you really boil it down, it's just so simple, uh, but it's probably the thing that gets butchered the most uh, because there's like this misunderstanding about how to build speed. Like for whatever reason, we feel like we're not getting work in if we don't get on the line again and again. I laugh all the time because my son comes home and like he wants to run repeat sprints. I'm like, OK, uh, you know, he's two years old. No max effort there. But uh, it's that's it, kind of the same approach that even, you know, adolescents taking things. So like to build that culture of speed and an understanding and like to, and it's good to get it started early because coach Holler always alludes to the fact that it's like a tree. It's got to be watered continuously. It's going to take a while to grow. So you have to have that patience. But if you get some of that plyometric base in while having a good time, and that's, that's an important part, especially almost every track coach I've had on, I've talked about like, how do we kill the love of sprinting in people? Well, we do that by making it, you know, get on the line again, repeat efforts, never truly training speed therefore there is no fruition of the speed so I like a lot of the lines of logic you're throwing out there absolutely absolutely yeah I completely agree with that it always makes me cringe when I do see that you know get to the line and yeah I'm 
I'm with you, man. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I want to give you an opportunity to do here is you have that uh, course with Coach Holler on CoachTube. So if you can shout that out. And I know you also are on social media. So where people can see some of these different things that we've talked about today, some of your speed school stuff and some of the things that you're throwing out there. So where can people find you? And then what other offerings do you have available? Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys go to CoachTube. Um, like I said, I am part of the Tony Holler Feed the Cat certification. X Factor, Rocket Fuel for Sprinters. And then uh, you guys can find me there. On Twitter, you guys can follow, follow me at Kyle underscore Edwards 32. Uh, the name is Coach Kyle Edwards. I post a lot of just different stuff on there. My Instagram, I also am posting videos for my speed school on there. Um, it's at Coach Kyle underscore Edwards. And I think that might be it. Yeah, if you guys ever, oh, in my email, if you guys ever want to email me or you can you can DM me on any of these social medias, but if you have any questions, you know, for some reason want to email me, you can email me at coachkyleedwards at gmail.com. Yeah, awesome. So I've really enjoyed the line of logic you've thrown out there today. Again, you're about my third or fourth person that's along the line of thinking of feed the cat. So it's really good to get somebody in like you have the coach two presentation on rocket fuel, which if I think everybody wants a little bit of rocket fuel in your sprinter. So definitely everybody go check that out because you want that bounce, you want that pop and you want to be fast. So that's awesome. I love the line of logic you've thrown out there. I was really excited to get you on to get that X factor perspective while also verifying some of these different sprint uh, mechanics and ways that you would stack your week. I'd love to be able to talk about the field based thing because I'm mostly focused on football and football prep and speed is something that's beginning to evolve and be thrown. You know, it's becoming substantial within the game. It's finally kind of taking its place rightfully above probably the strength aspect of the game. So it was nice to kind of hear another coach that has that rationale. I want to thank you for taking time to sit down with me today. And I've enjoyed uh, sitting here and conversing with you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to next time, you know, if I'm on ever again. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to give Coach Edwards a follow on Instagram and Twitter to see some of our talking points in action. Also, check out the CoachTube link in the show notes to get a detailed perspective on X-Factor workouts. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with the latest content and leave a rating and review if you feel led to do so. 